Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, I'm going to continue, uh, I don't know if this will be the last in this series or not, but continue in preparation for life. I thought, well, after the service, um, we would gather together for collective prayer for camp uh, before we depart this afternoon. So, But anyway, Luke chapter 14 and verses 28 through 33 the Bible says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he have laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. For what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an message and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so we've been doing a series of messages called Preparation for Life. And so let's pray and then we'll pick up where we left off last week. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray that we allow the Spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to uh, correct us and rebuke us, and Father, that it might bring uh, a right response if repentance is needed. Father, whatever is needed in our lives, that we might uh, be obedient to it, that we might rest upon your word, believe it, and act upon it. For our good and for thy glory, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, of course, we've been talking about you know preparation for life and um, We talked about preparation for marriage and making the Word of God. Uh, First of all, making the Word of God uh, central and preeminent in all things, uh, in every area of life. And uh, we kind of landed last week uh, um, with encouraging logical thinking and not not being critical, but examining everything that we do by the Word of God. Uh, you know, come to proper logical conclusions in obedience to the Word of God. And that's so very important as we uh, uh, enter into life and even live life. But as we think about that, you know, the, uh, also Exodus 23.2 says, we're not to follow a multitude of the evil, neither speak in the cause of de- to decline after many to rest judgment. Of course, we're, we're to... Follow the Lord and not the multitude of the world. But we need, to, we need to have wisdom, and sometimes to have wisdom in this world does require higher education. That's what I'm going to kind of look at this afternoon. Um, and so we need to consider the consideration of higher education. You know, many skills in life uh, require further education than high school. And this can be a pitfall to many. Um, but sometimes it is necessary. You know, if you if if you want to go into nursing, of course you got to take schooling. If you want to, uh, you know, even construction, you know, you can you can kind of work your way up. But some schooling is helpful. Uh, you know, if you want to be a pastor, there's there's some training that of course needs to be is involved there. Of course, I believe that's to be done in the church, and we'll look at that a little bit too. But uh, 
but anyway, the, some some skills require education. So we'll look at the first of all the value of higher education. Go to Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter one, in verses four and five, Daniel one four and five. You know, one of the things we've often said in our wife and I as we were homeschooling, we wanted to give our children the tools that they could pursue anything the Lord led them in life. You know, if they wanted to go on to higher education, that, you know, that was that was an option. But uh, given the basic tools in, in our education uh, through schooling and high school, so that they had the tools to pursue any area, anything they wanted to do in life, they could pursue it. They had the tools to do it. You know, it isn't so much that you what you know is knowing how to use what you have. That's what's important, knowing how to use it, because we're, that's where logical thinking comes in. But anyway, as we consider higher education, Daniel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, verse 3 through 5 says, And the king spake on Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring a certain... Of the kings of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of his princes. So these these children that he was bringing were royalty. They were not, you know, commoners as we would say. Um, but they were of royal seed. So they were the kind of the, the the cream of the crop. And this is what was mostly carried off to Babylon. The 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 lower classes of people were left to keep the land after this captivity began. And so this is what they're looking at. And then it says, Children whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning to know knowledge, cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, the word skilled here means prudent. Prudent. Prudent, if you look up the word prudent in, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, dictionary.com, it, it, the definition is judicious in practical affairs. Now, for Pennsylvania farm boy, we would say it like this. He just has good horse sense. In other words, he has good sense to make good judgments for life. Decisions that will be beneficial and helpful and good. He just has good horse sense. You know, that's, that's how we would say it. Or as he can make, this is a skilled person that can make wise decisions in everyday life. When Joseph was asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream, Joseph gave wise advice. I mean, practical, wise advice. So good that Pharaoh said, can we find anyone so wise and discreet as this man? Let's set him over this business. And he made him second in command in Pharaoh. I mean, he went from the jail right to second in authority behind Pharaoh. Why? Because Joseph had good sense. I mean, he could... He could look at a situation and evaluate it and say, this is what I think we ought to do, and it would be a good plan. That's what skilled here means. So these, these men, these young men that, that the king of Babylon, who's Nebuchadnezzar, is looking for, is men that have this kind of skill. 
Uh, you know, Daniel was expected to stand before the king, to be an advisor to the king. That's what the king's looking for. You know, every wise king has his advisors, just as President Trump. He has his advisors. And, you know, to be an advisor to a king or a president or something like that requires, would require knowledge of history, language, science, understanding of human nature. I mean, you're, you're dealing with people. That's what government does, to deal with people. You know, our, our government is falling apart because we don't understand human nature. That's the problem in America. We don't understand human nature. Communism will never work. But see, socialists think it will. You know why they think it will? Because they don't understand human nature. I read a clip that Teddy Kennedy said. He knows better now. He's not living anymore. But Teddy Kennedy said while he was living, socialism hasn't worked in 6,000 years because... I was not there to lead it. So he thought, big-headed himself, that if he was the head of socialism, it would work. The problem with socialism is it denies the, the wickedness of human nature. It thinks if you provide a good environment, everybody will do good. Everybody will pitch in their share and work. And you know, what was it the? Uh, the colony that tried it, Jamestown tried that, you know, for a little while, and they find that it didn't work, you know. But I'll start with that. So, so it, you know, to be an advisor to the king requires these, all these things. In fact, uh, one of the things that they were going to teach Daniel and his three friends was the tongue of the Chaldeans or the language. So, so as we think about this, you know, where are you going to best learn about human nature? Take a philosophy class at Community college? How about the Bible? Yeah, it, it, it tells human nature just like it is. And so here was, here was a man whom God was going to greatly use throughout his life. I mean, this, this Daniel continued clear until Cyrus. In fact, drop down to verse 17. It says, as for these four children, that's, that's uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Daniel's friends, also called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but these four children, God gave them, notice this, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the princes of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them was all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were on all his Rome. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Now, Cyrus was about five kings later. So through all the transition from king to king, and from, from uh, world power to, and there was two different world powers in there, Daniel continued in a government position. This was a man of great skill and wisdom. And the Bible says here that God gave them knowledge and wisdom and skill. God gave. See, they, they had an advantage over all the Chaldeans. They not only had access to the learning of the Chaldeans and their human philosophy, but they also had what God said about humanity. They had also recorded for them the history of the nation of Israel. A history that reveals to you, to you and I, 
what happens to a nation when they rebel against God? Those things haven't changed. And, and, if, and if we erase or rewrite our history, we're headed for trouble, which is something that's happening. So we see here, these men uh, needed this higher education. Uh, as with, uh, let's look also, the Apostle Paul was a highly educated man. Uh, go to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. I want you to look at some, some examples in the Scriptures. Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Paul, in his defense before the, for the Jews at Jerusalem, after they had arrested, or, uh, arrested him, it says, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are, all are this day. Now, so Paul is reminding them that he was brought up at the feet in this city, in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel and taught by him. Now that's not just, well, he went to school in Jerusalem. No. Acts 5.34 says of this man, Then stood up there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people. So this man that taught Paul was his teacher was a man that was the who's who of education in Jerusalem at that time. So, so he had the best of education that you get in Jerusalem. This is what he had. And, and again, not everybody needs this, but, but think about what that did for the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 21, verses 37 through 40, right here, we see that he probably spoke at least three languages. Verse 37 says, And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian? So he thought he was Egyptian. I kind of take from that, Paul could probably speak Egyptian also. And then, it says in verse 40, When he had given him license, Paul stood in the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people, that is the Jewish, and when there was a made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, he writing to the church at Corinth, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Now, he's not talking about some gibberish that people don't understand. When he says tongues, he's talking about language. He said, I can speak in more languages than any of you. It was common back in those days for especially the merchants to be able to speak in more than one language. But Paul could speak in tongues more than they all. Now, I don't know how many that was. Some, some say as many as six or more languages that Paul could speak. Which aided him greatly in his missionary journeys. See, God prepared him with his education that he had, knowing these languages and, and these things, it, it, it benefited him in his missionary travels. You know, if you're going to go to a foreign field, take the gospel, you've got to learn the language. If you want to be received, you've got to learn the language. One of the things that, that has adhered or, 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 or helped Kevin Jones in assimilating into the Russian people is he speaks fluent Russian. And they even talk about it. You know, 
um, that they, they it, it makes you they, you quickly earn their respect. So this is a great benefit. He also quoted poets in Acts seventeen twenty eight. He says, at, and this was at uh, Athens, again known for its education. For in him we live and move and have our being. A certain certain also of your own poets have said, and this is quotation from a poet, for we are also his offspring. See, Paul was a reader and read a variety of things. He also understood Roman law. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In verse 35, you know, at Philippi, he and Silas are arrested, thrust into the jail, you know, beaten and thrust into the jail. And of course, they, at midnight, they sing and pray and, uh, and, and God sends an earthquake and, and sets them all free. And, and of course, then the jailer gets saved and, and then the magistrates decide, hey, we're going to let these guys go. Verse 35 says in Acts 17, 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. You see, Paul knew Roman law well enough to know that to beat them being Roman citizens without a jury, without a trial, was illegal. He said, do you think they're going to do this privately? Uh-uh. You let them come here themselves and tell us. See, he understood their law. And, and notice, it says, And the sergeant told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them. They begged them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. You guys, just please go. Because, you know, if, hey, if Paul would have pushed it, he'd have had those guys in trouble. Legally. See, he understood. You know, he was an educated man enough to understand Roman law. And, and again, we see another instance of this, of chapter 22, verse 40, 24 through 49. Chapter 22, uh, verse 24 it says, and the chief captain, of course, this is when he's arrested at the temple in Jerusalem by the Jews, and chief captain comes and takes him away. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bathed that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried against, so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, in other words, they were tying him up, ready to give him a beating, to get him to confess some crime. And they were, they were bound him with thongs. Paul said to the centurion that stood by, Is it law for you to scourge? a man that is a Roman and uncondemned. And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, You take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. And so, you know, Paul was, you know, educated and understood, had, had, had you know, and he was a reader in a, a variety of things. Uh, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, he wrote to Timothy, and encourage Timothy uh, in in reading First Timothy four and verse uh, thirteen. It says, "Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine." 
The word reading there is an interesting word. It really means knowing again. Knowing again. Timothy, you need to be constantly reading, giving yourself to reading. I heard one preacher say one time that very, he's very, he has a, quite a successful quote, quote, ministry, but he said that the, uh, readers, are, readers are leaders and leaders read. Moses also was learned, Acts chapter 7, verse 22, says he was mighty in word and deed. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He wrote much of the Old Testament. And of course, this, this also learning would have helped him in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. However, that was not sufficient for the task. His learning was not sufficient for the task. Spent 40 years learning how to shepherd sheep. That word shepherd is the same word as translated pastor. Learn how to pasture sheep. Of course, God's people are compared to sheep. Uh, Peter, the Bible tells us that Peter spake boldly uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they marveled, took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And of course, he was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, but, so the, the point is here that sometimes there, there, this necessary and there is value in higher education. But as we consider that, we need to remember the preeminence of Bible training. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. The Bible says there, but if I tarry long, thou mightest Know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, the Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And we're talking about the local church. A pillar is a support. It's something on which you can rest, be assured of, or gives you security. Now, the ground speaks of the basis or the foundation. So, the church is the support or the security or the rest and the foundation of all truth. Of all truth. You know, the children of Israel, as I said, have been years ahead in civilization as a civilized nation than much of the rest of the world. Uh, In medicine. Do you know why? Because of the things taught in the law concerning hygiene and healing. In fact, they were accused during the Middle Ages of, of, of being involved in witchcraft because of their, 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 their basically their medical practices. Uh, and so the word of God is the basis of all truth. You know, our society is crumbling within because we have left the source of truth. The source or the foundation of truth. We left it. We've, we've left the source and the foundation of liberty. You know, our, our forefathers understood this, you know, in the Declaration of Independence. You know, when the course of human events, let me quote here, quote, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. 
A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, they understood that the source of liberty is not government. It's not man. It's God. It's God. The sad reality of this is many Baptists don't understand this today. Yet we look to government when we all look to God. We look to science when we all look to God. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. You know, I said last week that, you know, the Bible is not a science book, but everything that says about science is true. And if science contradicts the Bible, it's not true science. The Bible is not a history book, but everything it says about history is true. Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist said, Ho, I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. You're you're always going to have enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients. In other words, more than the aged people that have been around a long time and have, have, have learned by experience. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. You know, David was a shepherd boy who learned how to lead sheep. He learned how to govern men. And he learned how to fight. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, he learned how to fight from God. Psalm 144, verse 1 says, The Lord teaches my fingers to war and my, my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The Lord! You know, there's a right way to fight and a wrong way to fight. There are things that are wrong to fight for. There are right things to fight for. And we need to have the wisdom of God to know, discern the difference. See, David understood the purpose of life, the person of God, because he meditated in the Word of God. He understood human nature and how to lead a nation of people. When Solomon became king, you know, he, he said, you know, I'm, I'm but a child, and I, Lord, I need understanding, I need wisdom, how to lead this people. And God gave him wisdom, greater than any before or after. God gave it to him. I mean, if you want to understand human nature, read the Bible. If you want wisdom and child training, read Proverbs. Marriage, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. You want to know how how to get along with people? Read the Bible. Take heed to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Honor thy father and mother. All these things have, all those have to do with our relationships with people. What the first four have to do with our relationship with God, and they govern the other six. It was said of Stephen that his wisdom could not be resisted. They could not refute him. 
Stephen was a disciple of the church at Jerusalem. And the Pharisees couldn't resist his, his arguments. Look at Luke 21. Luke 21 and verse 12. Luke 21, 12. See, many times we underestimate the wisdom that God can give us. We think we can't get that wisdom from God and sometimes people turn to the world when we ought to be seeking it from God. <laughs> Talking about the last days and the persecution is going to come on the earth and and in, in Luke twenty one twelve he says, Before all these they shall lay their hands on you and be persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And they shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. See, God says, you need to settle in your heart. And you need to be seeking my face. And you need to settle in your heart. When you're brought before kings or your enemies, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say because I'll give you wisdom. And they won't be able to refute it. You know, one of the major deficits in modern, quote, Christianity, unquote, is we can't defend our positions biblically. A lot of Christians don't know what they believe. Or, maybe I should say, they don't know why they believe it. They don't know why they believe it. For example, many people don't know or can't defend liberty to worship God according to their conscience. You know, you'll hear talk shows and they're arguing and debating, but they always argue or debate it from a Protestant view. And when you debate that, Liberty of conscience to worship God according to dictates of your conscience from a Protestant view, you shot yourself in the foot. Because Protestantism has a history of persecution of those who disagree. See, if we would understand history in the Bible, we would understand that Bible believing people, Bible believing Baptist people, have never persecuted anyone. See, the idea of liberty of conscience does not come from Protestantism or Catholicism. It comes from Baptists. Baptists. Many people cannot defend capital punishment. After all, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. You know, I grew up in a midnight church. And um, some of them didn't even believe in capital punishment because thou shalt not kill. I don't know how they justified it. And I would ask them this, okay, how do you justify this? Deuteronomy chapter 5, God says, thou shalt not kill. Deuteronomy chapter 7, it says, thou shalt utterly destroy them. How do you reconcile that? See, from a biblical position, not all killing is murder. All murder is killing. But not all killing is murder. When God sent the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, he said, you utterly destroy them. He was, he was sending them into a land filled with reprobate people that had given themselves over to all sorts of wickedness and demonic activity, and there was no turning back for them. They were beyond help. And God said, you need to utterly destroy them. In fact, how many of them you know, think about this. 
They all knew the children of Israel were coming. They all were fainting. Rahab gives it away. He says, she says, our hearts didn't melt because of you. We were fainting. So the whole land is filled with people that are fearing for their lives. How many of them repented? Well, we know Rahab did. You would have thought that these people would have come begging for mercy. The mercy of God. No. You know what they did? They, they, they designed or created the first United Nations and came against Israel, just like they are now. Just like you are now. The United Nations is still against Israel. See, it was just continued rebellion against God. They were reprobates. We have a lot of those in our country. You cannot reason with them. See, not all killing is murder. And most people can't make the distinction or understand the distinction that the Bible makes between a murder and putting someone to death for a crime against humanity, which God commands us to do. Of course, the case against drinking alcohol. I was telling Brother Custer, you know, the, my biggest case against, you know, the, the most, most uh, convincing to me argument against drinking alcohol is, the, you know, Proverbs, was Proverbs 30 says, you give alcohol to him that's ready to perish. So if you're dying, it's okay to drink the stuff because it'll just finish you off, you know. Um, no, you see, what this does, see, this requires of us that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, educating ourselves in the scriptures gives us power and wisdom to answer every man that asketh us the reason, the hope, the life in us with meekness and fear. Go to Ecclesiastes, and I'm, I'm about finished. <clears throat> I know everybody's tired, including myself. I did drink half a cup of coffee <clears throat> to try and help me through the afternoon. Um, I don't know if it was coffee to help me. The taste was so bad, uh, you know. But uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. And notice this phrase, the words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these my son be admonished, of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. Now, I want you to notice that, that verse 11 in particular, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails. Now, a goad is something that encourages, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, we would, some people call it a poker or, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we would use them to, to loading cattle or pigs or something. You, it's, it's just a sharp, prickly thing and you, and you poke them in the, in the behind to get them to go on the truck or wherever you want to go. You know, it, it, uh, stimulates some pain, so they move. Uh, so go to something that encourages, it urges, or it drives. It's a stimulus. See, he says that the words of wise are as goats. They will stimulate you in your thinking. They'll stimulate thinking. Imagination of the invention 
nails, and he says, he also uses the word nails, or nails are, are used to hold things together. They give stability. It, it causes things to retain order, if you will. You know, the nails in my barn that I'm building have made all that lumber that I had laying out in the yard, just looking unsightly. It, it, it has put it all to use. It's made it all useful. It holds it together. I mean, if I put, if you went and pulled all the nails out of my barn, what would happen? It all fall, it'd just fall down. And it would just, it wouldn't look quite as bad as it did before I put it together. But, but you know, it would, it would be, it would be in disarray and disorder. Now think about, he said those words are as nails. They can put your life in order. And see, those nails have made that barn useful. See, learning, reading, education has the power to make your life useful to God and man. Even working at the city of Raleigh or UPS or farming at birds. All these things can be useful for the Lord and the profit to our fellow man. The Lord's church. There's an interesting statement in Luke 2, 52. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Wisdom and stature God, favor with God and man. And so, we need to seek, need to continue to learn, to grow, and of course make most preeminent our understanding of the Scriptures. Because there is a danger in higher education. It's the exaltation of scholarship. One preacher said one time that, quote, scholarship is a wonderful teacher but terrible master, unquote. You know, 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul said, Knowledge puffeth up. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul warns the church of Colossae when he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments, the rudiments refers to the first things uh, of the world, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. The first principles are the things that have to do with man or worldly thinking. So we need to be aware of that as we think about higher education. And so we need to make the Word of God preeminent in whatever education we seek. We have to examine everything by the Word of God. You know, if you go to, if you go to a college somewhere, a community college, you're going to have to take courses that are not true. They're going to teach you false things. You have to learn to discern what's right, what's not. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You see, we need to fear God, make Him, His word, preeminent in our life. You know, it is good to seek counsel and instruction from men. 
but never forsake the counsel of God for a man. After all, it's the Lord that will judge our choices and our decisions. So, higher education, it may be necessary, it may be helpful, but we we need to seek knowledge from God, make him preeminent, learn to examine everything by his word as we make our journey through life or prepare for life as young people. Let's pray.